and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 69. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the third episode of season four, What Was Lost Part 2, Resurrection. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of what was lost part two. John is rescued from a watery death by the sea creature, only to be told that part of the escape plan is that he has to go back to being Grace's chew toy. As he struggles against her love potion, the girls escape prison and they all make a daring escape until they get stuck back on the planet and are forced to see just how much of the Darnez triangle is a myth and how much is real. Before we actually get too deep into this episode, I wanted to make a couple of quick corrections. Taz and I mentioned last week that we thought that maybe Scorpius had changed some of his pain into pleasure nerves, and it was actually corrected by Esther Liskarou and Alfred Garcia that it was Namtar from season one, which, you know, kind of a little bit indefensible on our part, but on the other hand, it sounds like something Scorpius would do, so... (laughs) Additionally, we've been referring to Elac as she, and it is actually a male Leviathan. So just we're going to continue going forward with the correct gender on that one. And I forgive my voice this week. I've kind of lost it after having a cold. What was Lost Part 2 Resurrection, a second of part of our two-parter? And it's the conclusion that pays off the setup work done of last episode, which resolves the mystery of the Darnas Triangle and who the Black Lagoon guy is and why he's there, which is one thing that we found very frustrating of the last episode. The plot is a fairly straightforward distract the bad guys and escape which on the whole, I found a much more satisfying and coherent story than the setup episode that we had last time. Yeah, it was definitely much more of like an action-packed episode, which is always a lot of fun. And I think that the girls especially, their interactions this episode was just like a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's been mentioned that this episode kind of ends with like, everybody happy and like everybody smiling and it's like really the first time in a while that we've seen that you know just kind of that joy and I think that that is one thing I got out of this episode I still have issues with the creature um like I get that he has a purpose here but we still are not given like any sort of explanation for him do you know what I mean and it makes no sense to me that (laughs) in Tyrons who are like really 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 xenophobic would just be totally chill with this random creature hanging out you know at their dig site Mm -hmm. well from what i gathered from the conversation he has the old woman near the end of the episode is like he was working with vala to find the darnas triangle and they were going to split the bounty on it from the bounty that was on this weapon that was part of this myth And so there's that little bit of tie-in. So the other thing that the reason he would be there would be because he can survive under the water, right? Mm -hmm. During the magnetic summers that last for a couple of years before the the magnetics clear for the research team to come in again. So I feel like the explanation is a little bit of Vala and the Interion dig crew needed somebody who could be underwater and maybe keep doing some work while they were gone. Mm, I'll buy I'll I'll buy that but I guess I also assumed that he was the one that had killed Vala he was the one who had killed Vala yeah he was double crossing her oh okay because he wanted the whole bounty for himself it's pure greed it's classic yeah but I will give you that it's I mean I watched this episode twice and it's something that you have to really be paying attention for because it's a kind of there and you miss it conversation at the end amidst all this chaos of we got to find the triangle so we can save ourselves kind of thing going on. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I'll give you that. I think that I enjoyed this episode a lot more mostly because of how much I didn't enjoy last episode it wasn't okay let me clarify it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it because I never don't enjoy Farscape I even enjoy the bad episodes you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but I think that you and I both brought up our issues with first of all the plotting the pacing and then Greza and so I think that like this episode just because like we can't continue to harp on those three things (laughs) Mm-hmm. That I was like, I enjoyed this one more. It was faster. There was more action. We got more friendship, you know? 
I think it's just a better episode because the plot is they're not trying to do all this exposition, right? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to set up there might be a connection to Earth. Mm-hmm. You have the the confusion is going on with like what's going on on the planet. And then you have the introduction of Grey's ickiness, which is no longer a shock in this episode. It's just now it's established. And and I think the plot is just holds together better because it's much more linear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not kind of having all these fingers going out in different directions. And I think that's what makes it better because there is a driving through line throughout it that, okay, they're trying to escape. John is the distraction. Sukozu is a bit of the distraction trying to get in to help Chiana and Jewel, the old woman, escape. It's just a tighter story overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the episode begins with John being rescued by the creature, and then the creature starts trying to drown him, especially... Poor John. (laughs) Poor John. Especially if the creature finds out that John knows where the third probe is. And Dargo Mm -hmm. and Sokozu come upon the creature trying to drown John, and instead of, like shooting him they're just kind of like hey stop trying to drown him and then again like nobody kills this creature which is so hilarious to me. <laughs> well at the moment he's their ally right because dargo had sent the creature to go find john he says that at the beginning it's like we told you to find him not kill him yeah but there's no no consequence to the creature and i think that just kind of is a comment on the lives that these this crew le- leads where this kind of you know, torture and violence amongst allies is like par for the course. Yeah, that's actually true. It, and it is kind of funny because it is something that we see <laughs> repeatedly with this crew. So now that John has been rescued, there's actually this really hilarious conversation that John and Sokozu and Dargu have where they're like, oh, man, you stink. And then Sokozu figures out that Greza has actually implanted a gland used by courtesans that releases HEPA oil, which is a love potion, essentially. Basically. So it supersedes the will of the person who is on this drug, i.e. John. So he cannot resist and he cannot lie because Greza intends to use it as an interrogation tool, using sex and rape and drugs to get all the information she wants out of John. I want to make the comment that it seems more effective to me that rather than implanting a love potion in your body, which apparently also shortens your lifespan, it seems more effective to actually just carry around a case full of drugs. Yeah, right? Because then you could just use the the truth serum part and you don't need to resort to the rape and you don't need to resort to anything else. And I don't know. I This is the thing about Greza. I'm, I'm, okay, we're not going to spend all episode bashing Greza again, but it's just like this character is clearly written on the like meta level as male gazy. She's a sexy, powerful woman who has her boobs nearly showing the whole time and she uses sex as a weapon. Ooh, right? And it's just, it just the logic of it is just annoying, right? So I don't know. That's why I really don't like her, I think, is it's, it doesn't feel like something organic from within the show, you know? Yeah. Like they've hamstringed this character in because they wanted more boobs on screen. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Because I keep going back to the fact that, and I think I mentioned this last episode, Graza is a commandant. You know what I mean? She is high up in the military. And I'm not saying that like... Okay, so for example, in the American military, once you get at a high enough level, there are some civilians that are, you know, or they don't wear military uniforms, they wear like suits because they are, you know, civilians. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't want to spend the entire episode on Greza again. So actually, let's move back to Dargo and Sokozu and their conversation with poor John (laughs) after. Yes, good call. She touched me. I'm not going anywhere near that woman again. John, you have to see her one more time. Screw you. Well, to use one of your expressions, you're going to have to take one for the team. Technically, I've taken two. And now it's time for the triple. Listen, she still has Jewel and Jenna, and we have a plan to get them out. Yes? We are operating on a need-to-know basis, and we think it best that you only know your part. Excuse me? Well, we feel if you know the whole plan, then... Well, you, you, you two, work it out, and come up with a plan. Now you trust her, and you're not going to tell me the plan? Well, let me tell you, I do not get back in the saddle with Matahari until I get the whole plan. If you go back, can you be sure Grazer will not make you tell everything you know? 
What's the right thing to do, John? Fine, what do you want me to do? Okay, the Marauders are prepping to go. You think they want to take you with them? You have to keep Grazer busy for about two hours. From what we have seen, that should not be too hard. Trust me, it'll be hard. What am I supposed to do in two arms? Just wait for my signal. Right. And John, when they find you, it's gonna have to be believable. You know that you're hurt, that you've taken a fall. You can do that. I can fake that. I know you. They have to. I said I can fake it. Okay. Okay. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. Dargo. <laughs> Dargo is the best. I'm just going to say that again because I love Dargo so much. But I really love his and John's byplay right here where they're like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, where he's like, like yes. are you sure? And then he keeps giving him this like look. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> well, and then also earlier, we forgot to mention it, but there was like a kind of funny moment where again, like it's about rape. So it's I don't want to be like, it is funny, but it was. I was actually, I, I did kind of laugh at it, where they're talking about how they saw John having sex with Greza, and John's like, you know about that? And Dargo's like, everybody knows. Mm -hmm. The fact that they wrote it as a funny scene, you know, kind of just goes to show, like, how minimized rape is in the culture about, like, how you deal with it in media. Mm -hmm. And... You know, you get a little bit of that in this quote as well with Sokozu saying it shouldn't be hard for you to go have sex with Greza for two hours. And John is like, trust me, it'll be hard. So I think on the on the internal level of like the in-universe part of the show, you still have this, this kind of like non-recognition that this is a severe violation of John's body and volition and consent. And at the same time, you have John being like, no, this is going to be awful. And at the beginning of that quote, you know, he's like, she touched me. And then he's trying to wash her off of him in the water because he's still standing in the water. Mm -hmm. So you can tell that John is really affected by it. So it's this interesting contrast going on that kind of shows, you know, the insensitivity of the observers while that this is something that has deeply affected John at the same time. So there's kind of acknowledgement of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and also I think that on a more meta level, I think it has to do a lot with how male rape is seen in our culture where like there is, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to get too into this, but it is much, much, much more common for women to be raped and women to be abused by their, by their partners. But part of the problem with misogyny is that it also minimizes rape and violation done to men because men are mm -hmm. supposed to be seen as like, oh, hey, you got some, you know, which is kind yeah. of a lot of the issues you see when it's like an adult woman and a teenage or, you know, a pubescent boy is kind of like, ah, oh, hey, you know, he got some. And, and I think that's a lot of what's going on here, too, is they're kind of like, hey, yeah. this like super hot woman is having sex with you, like... Hey, hey. And it's and at the same time, it's minimizing the fact that it is rape. Right. Yeah, I got that impression as well. That is, you know, part of the male rape problem as well. But as we saw, Dargo and Sokozu have a plan. And this is kind of where they're like, OK, you can't know about it because you're going to be drugged. And that's part <laughs> of our plan because you got to be the distraction and keep keep Graza's focus on you. So that's what John does. He ends up going back. He uh, I think the sea creature takes him back out to the the water. He's found on the beach, on the rocks by the beach. He is now Graza's prisoner again. And meanwhile, Dargo is going to set up the plan. And the plan is to go talk to Rigel on Elac and get Elac and his pilot to crash into the marauders on the ground so that they cripple the peacekeeper's ability to chase them. Because remember, they have Dargo's secret ship. Mm-hmm. And it's a suicide run for Elac and the, his pilot, but they're dying anyway, and they are willing to do it. And it's kind of heartbreaking. You know you know that they're making a sacrifice, and they know that they are asking them to make a sacrifice. And it's just this kind of, this last act of, you know, screw you to the peacekeepers by helping these guys escape. Yeah. I, I think it also goes back to how meaningful serving is to both Leviathans and pilots, because mm -hmm. In the past, we've heard Moya and Pilot both speak about how their life is meaningful because they have a crew. 
their life is meaningful because they are going places with their crew and they're serving them. And I think that's really what you're getting at here. because This is literally two creatures on their deathbed and they still are willing to kill themselves in order to mm-hmm. save their crew, you know? Yeah. And Rigel, as we saw in the last episode, has developed a rapport with the pilot. Um, he was comforting her when she was, you know, going through some aging pains. And so he's able to talk them into or ask them to do this for them. Mm-hmm. So that's Dargo and Rigel's part of the plan. And then we have Sukozu on the ground. And it looks like she's not being quite trustworthy because the first thing she does is go talk to Braca and say, hey, I am your ticket to getting another promotion, which was a little strange, but you know. Yeah, like I'll be honest, the first time I saw it, she's like, I'm your, she's like, I'm your reward or something like that. It was like, I'm your next promotion or something like that. Yeah, it was promotion. And then I was like, is she implying that like Greza sent her to him as like a sex toy or like it was very confusing and then you're like oh she's pretending to sell them all out so that he'll get promoted again (laughs) right so she's pretending to sell them out by telling them what dargo is off doing something and uh so chiana and jewel and the old woman who are still in the prison they are like, ah, Sokozu is our traitor. And John, when Sokozu and Braca walk in on Greza having sex with him, uh, he's like, oh, you're a traitor too. It's one of those those situations where it's like, is Sokozu actually selling them out or is she doing the deception thing as part of the plan? Because we don't know what her role in the plan is mm-hmm. yet. So then John <laughs> starts calling Greza a whore. Because he tries to kill mm-hmm. her, but he can't because of the drugs. And then he's like, you're Scorpius's whore. And I'm going to put this out there. I think this is like this episode has more uses of the word whore. Than, it's twice at least. Yeah, it's at yeah. least twice. And it's like, I, I cannot remember another episode where John has used that word because everybody else obviously uses like a different word. They use like. They're using like trout or something else, usually in reference to Chiana. Yeah, you know. And and so at the same time, it is it was kind of like a little bit of a whiplash because I remember very vividly the first time that Dean Winchester, sorry to skip fandoms for a minute, but <laughs> in season one, Dean, season one and two, really, Dean was like really respectful towards women. And then there was like this episode where all of a sudden he starts calling women like whores and like sluts. And it was very disconcerting. And that was kind of how I felt here, where I'm like, I'm not saying that... He wouldn't ever say it, but I'm also saying that we're four seasons in, and I don't think he's ever used that word. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's jarring because it's in our own language. You know, Farscape swear words are all their own kind of thing, so there's like this distance between us. And I think him saying it here is something that really hits the audience because it is something that resonates with us in our own language. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if how much of of his accusing Graza is you know, a reflection of him feeling helpless because she is treating him like he is a whore. I mean, obviously Um, he's not consenting to it, but I'm wondering if in universe there's a little bit of that going on where he's just feeling so helpless and can't do anything to to resist her because he's being drugged that, you know, some of this meanness is coming out. And we know that John has meanness in him mm -hmm. because, you know, Crackers don't matter. Classic. All these really dark impulses came out of John and like he was you know, sexually violent towards towards Chiana, uh, or at least violent towards her, and then very suggesting that he would would be willing to rape her. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's part of him, and so I feel like there's there's stuff coming out because he is in a really dark place that yeah. wouldn't necessarily come out otherwise. Yeah, I hear that, and I I definitely agree. Like I said, I mean, I'm not saying. It's this is kind of one of those things where it's like if it's on screen it's canon. So no matter how out of character it feels, it's now canon. It's now something that mm-hmm. happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of like the larger issue. The other thing with that conversation is John accusing Greza of working for Scorpius and Scorpius being the brains of the operation. So he's not just accusing Greza of sleeping with with 
Scorpius, but also that Scorpius is smarter. He's really running this show, and she is trying to trick John by saying, oh, I've got Scorpius under control. He's never going to hurt you again, and basically saying, no, this is all a game of Scorpius's, some elaborate trap that Scorpius has come up with to get me to give up the wormholes and everything else, and you're playing along with it. Yeah, and I think that for me, my question there is how much of that was true, like how much he actually does think that and how much he's just lashing out because he can see that Greza is in charge and there's nothing that people in charge hate more than kind of being like their authority <laughs> questioned, especially Greza, who we've seen is like really about complete domination. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's essentially why she has this gland implanted is because she doesn't want to just have control. She wants to dominate the people around yeah. her. And so I think that that was kind of my question is how much of this is him just lashing out in the only way he possibly can and, you know, trying to find her weak spot and how much he actually does believe it's Scorpius. I can totally see a part of him still believing that Scorpius is behind it, simply because we have all of season two as evidence that Scorpius can play a long game and play it well mm -hmm. and be very, very patient about it. So from a character level, you know, I don't think Scorpius would ever want to be out of control because he's a character who spent so much of his life, young life, out of control of his destiny mm -hmm. and he worked very hard to become in control of it. But I think there's, even if John accepts, you know, even if John knows that and acknowledges that, I think there will always be that little doubt that Scorpius, because Scorpius is his first true torturer, they have this really twisted relationship with each other already. He has a clone of Scorpius or the neural imprint of him in his head. And I can see that that would be something that would still be in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. So with that kind of, you know, Scorpius is actually behind that, John actually convinces Greza to kill Scorpius. So Greza, for kind of reasons unknown, because I'm like, I don't understand why everybody needs to be there for Scorpius's execution, except that it's Farscape and they want to have as many scenes with all the characters as possible. I think it goes back to, to Greza being a dominator, right? Mm-hmm. She wants everybody to know that she is in total control and that she is going to kill Scorpius and everyone should know that she is the one in charge and not him. Yeah, that's true. So she gathers all of our imprisoned women as well as Sokozu and John and then all of the peacekeepers on the planet. And she has John dig a grave and it's actually a pretty deep grave. And this is so funny to me because I'm like, I think that people that do this on TV shows have never actually dig dug a hole in their entire <laughs> lives because I'm like, that is a hole that would take like at least an hour or so to dig. <laughs> if not more. Anyway, here's the scene. Is that enough dirt out of your hole, boss? Get out of there. Congratulations, peacekeeper whore. Perfect plan. One charge. You think Scorpius is the brain. Go on. Kill the half-breed genius and ruin everything. There's no charge in that weapon. So there's a lot to unpack in that scene. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is the second use of the word whore that you and I were talking about. And in this case, he's actually referring to Sokozu. And again, I'm kind of finding it problematic, but I'm going to move on because John is under stress. Right. And at this point, neither Chiana and Jewel and the old woman and John, they all think that Sukozu has sold them out. Mm-hmm. And like she has turned them over to the peacekeepers. Yeah. And then also they shove Sukozu in the hole. And then Greza's like, is he dead? And Sukozu literally doesn't even bend down <laughs> to check. It's hilarious. I'm like, what is this scene? I get the scene is like they're going to kill her and that's why they shove her down in the hole. But I'm like, it's it's not even like Narcissa Malfoy like leaning over and pretending to check that Harry's dead. It's like Sukozu yeah. literally stands there, looks at the body and is like, I don't know, I guess he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and going back a second, you know, you know, Greza goes up to John and is like, you know, here, I'm handing you a weapon. Kill Scorpius and prove that this is all going to go. T- this plan is going to be ruined because Scorpius is now dead. And she's basically saying, you kill him. It doesn't matter. I don't like him. I don't care. And of course, the gun is empty. And then Bracca is actually the one who pulls the trigger and shoots Scorpius, which is something to keep thinking about, because on the one hand, you have Scorpius is still in his body armor, so you have to have someone who would know where to shoot him. And also, Scorpius does not die on the impact. You know, mm-hmm. he is talking to Sokozu in the grave and giving her Skurnak, which is a high command uh, peacekeeper security code that saves her life and has Greza pull her back out of the of the hole and keep her alive longer. So you have to wonder, did Bracca intend to kill him? Or not. Yeah. I mean, and that's actually the question. Because, like, Braca, this whole episode, he's still kind of going with, like, enjoying having power over Scorpius. There's, like, a scene where he's got Scorpius on a leash and he's, like, kicking him and he's, like, drink. And he's got, like, a bull on the ground like Scorpius is a dog. And it's like, okay, Braca, like, I think your kink is showing. But, you know, you do you. And then it's it's really interesting because, yeah, if anybody on the ship... If anybody in the entire Peacekeeper Command <laughs> knows how to kill Scorpius, it would be Bracca. You know? Yeah. And yet, Scorpius survives the shot. And Sukozu does try to get um, Greza to not bury him alive, or while he's still remaining alive, but he gets buried anyway. So that seems to be Scorpius in a hole in the ground. And I'm just going to kind of leave it there, because that's the last we see of Scorpius. Mm-hmm. And and this is going back to John's thought processes about, you know, is Scorpius really going to stay in the ground or not? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> spoilers. He doesn't stay in the ground. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> keep an eye. He comes back because he's Scorpius. And also, this is the first time that Sokozu meets Scorpius and they save each mm-hmm. other's lives. So, yeah, keep an eye on that one as well. So afterwards, Greza has John again, and John is telling her everything about why the Sierrans want him and what he learned and about the tile and about how their races are, inter- you know, how their races are related. And about wormholes. And about wormholes. And then he sees one of the bugs, and he has a flashback, and he remembers what the old woman says. And then the next time we come back, she's kind of questioning him some more. And then he sniffs the bug, and he kind of breaks out of his mind what you know breaks out of the mind the, control the compulsion yeah yeah and he starts tying Greza up in these like kinky bondage things that she'd set up and that's how he gets away is that she lets him <laughs> tie her up and while this is happening Sukozu is now considered like maybe she's a secret agent for the peacekeepers and so she goes and visits our our three ladies who are in prison Chiana Jewel and the old woman and this is another one of those, another one of those kind of odd scenes because she walks in, the gates open. There's two peacekeeper grunts right there, and Jewel attacks Sokozu. And we're gonna play the clip in a second, but I just want to point out that the two peacekeeper grunts, even when it escalates and Shiana has like her arms around Sokozu's neck, also. They don't do anything. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. There's like a lot of weird stuff that happens in this episode. And I'm like, 
Like the whole Greza letting John tie her up thing. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess if you're convinced you have absolute control over him, but it also seems like not something she's really into because she's more into yeah. like being the Dom versus. Right. That's Yeah. But, you know, it works for the episode. So yeah. I want to play the, the girls escaping, the women escaping from the prison with Sukozu. What the frow does she want? Let me handle this. It's alright. I always wait. You know, sit both sides, be reasonable. But now, I have nothing to lose. Her girl, I did not betray you. I am bluffing for all I am worth just to get myself in here. No, Dargo has a plan. You're lying. We saw them not kill you. Why didn't they? They think I know some sort of secret survivor code. What did you say to them? Skernik. What does it mean? I have no idea. But it saved my life. And if you stop fighting me, I will try and save yours too. Why don't you put your fingers in her ears? (laughs) Stay still. And Jules screams and weaponizes her scream and all her handcuffs melt. And then <laughs> they had this great power moment when the three of them turn to the two guards who are still in the cell and grin and then attack them and they get away. And Jules and Shiana have this really cute little handshake, secret handshake that they do afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a you're boss and I'm boss and we're both friends. I think, okay, <laughs> This moment worked for me, even though I think it's really like, even though I think that logic needs to be suspended in order for it to work. It worked for me because the friendship stuff worked and the girls working together worked. And like, I'm like, yeah, Chiana and Jewel are like awesome together. And then it didn't work for me because I'm like, Sokozu is like not whispering when she's like, I'm (laughs) bluffing for all I'm worth. I'm trying to get you out. And then the PKs aren't even like, uh what you know (laughs) right that's it's the two peacekeeper grunts in the cell that don't make it quite work i mean obviously they're supposed to be like whispering amongst each other and but we have to be able to hear them as an audience for the for the audience to hear what's going on but yeah that so if you just kind of ignore or pretend that they were like farther back against the wall and really dumb (laughs) then then it works better but i agree with you like the character stuff here is just so great like at the beginning jules like i'll handle this and then almost immediately sukozu flips the tables on her and then you see jewel be like oh no don't hurt me don't hurt me (laughs) and then chiana has her back because chiana knows how jewel is it's like amazing Yeah. yeah yeah i don't know i like it like i really like, I like it. it too you know there's something really satisfying about watching them work together because i think all three of them have been at odds at each other at different points in the show and so mm-hmm. having them work together in a really synchronized john and aaron kind of way just feels really satisfying yeah yeah and so after this john actually does make his escape and i'm gonna play that too because it really gets at Greza and her total need for control. What's that? Couldn't do it the old-fashioned way, could you? Six-pack of beer, night of bowling, skinny dipping. Uh-uh. Here you've been putting some junk on the ball. Untie me. Little monkey. Little Gaylord Perry. Little Joe. No, you stay. You never heard my heart. Crichton, stay! Greza is all tied up, and yet she keeps trying to command John, even though he's clearly broken through the drugs with the with the dranit is it mm-hmm. no it's not a dranit is it a what's it called oh i have no idea the little bug the little bug thing so she keeps trying to maintain her voice stays cool she's like untie me 
come back here, stay. And, you know, it's also reminded me a lot of like commanding a dog, Mm -hmm. like sit, stay kind of thing. And that's kind of how she's been treating him as like her possession, Mm -hmm. you know? So Greza is, is it a pickle? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, I think that probably the reason she let him tie her up has to do with the fact that she assumed she still had a hundred percent control, Yeah, you know, and there's kind of that going on as well is like this assumption that like once under her heel, always under her heel. Right. And then I think John's line there about you never heard my heart. It wasn't, it's, I mean, she did hear his heart because his heart rate spiked when he did the drugs, but also it's kind of this like, this frustration that John is having, I think, where everybody is kind of like, oh, John got some. John's, you know, having sex with a super mm-hmm. hot PK woman. And John's like, no, because John has this in- John has this like relationship that we see much more often with women and sex where it is about emotion, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it is like it is, you know, yeah, he's like a guy and he like <laughs> is horny. But this John still has not had sex with Aaron. <laughs> at least not since season one yeah yeah he's saying why did you have to you know rape me why didn't we go on a date first you know Mm -hmm. there's this this whole there's no seduction there was no goodness about this whole thing it was just really bad all around i think that's one of the things you're also hearing through when he says you know why didn't we go bowling or you know all that stuff is like Mm -hmm. yeah and it is kind of that frustration that he's feeling where like on the one hand, he's definitely a lot more used to his life in the uncharted territories at this point. I mean, he's four years in. He's kind of had mm-hmm. to grow used to it. But on the other hand, it's like this is beyond the pale again. It's like yeah. John has had, you know, all of his boundaries pushed and expanded. And, you know, he's had the woman he loves and he fell in love with not the old fashioned way. You know, he and Aaron yeah. definitely fell in love a lot because of proximity and because of them being in situations together and them having like this real emotional intimacy, you know, that came from the situations they were put in. And then and then he gets, you know, raped and it's kind of like okay, so another violation, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because I would even argue it's more than just frustration. It's, you know, it's all those deeper emotions that he's not necessarily letting out because this is a severe violation of his body and his his control of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then John promptly runs into Braca, who he shows his ass to quite literally. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminded me of that scene in Crichton Kicks where he's sexy bait to the to the dog thingy the the hound thingy but yeah so he gets stuck in a firefight and chiana and jewel and sukozu come to rescue him with their weapons and he has a crappy pulse pistol that doesn't have enough charge in it so they so the girls are coming to rescue the ladies are coming to rescue john meanwhile dargo has signaled for the countdown to start but Pilot and Elac have gone early because they didn't quite get the memo that they were supposed to wait for the countdown. Well, no, it was because <laughs> Pilot was like asleep and she's not hearing everything correctly. And she has a t- yeah. this like the thing that happens, you know, when you're old and dying, which is time feels weird. And so she yeah. starts them early while poor Rigel is still in the ship. <laughs> Trying to desperately get the uh, the transport pod to work so he can fly off of it. So he's fixing a transport pod. Everything is moved up by 400 microts. And in the midst of all of this, they get away, they get to Dargo's ship, and then the peacekeepers either are shooting at them or the crash happens and they don't quite get away in time. I was kind of unclear what exactly caused the damage to the ship, but the ship gets damaged. Yeah, I think it was the peacekeepers shooting at them because what actually happens is okay. poor Elac has to pull up because oh right they, i forgot about that yeah. yeah because they have to let rigel off and because nobody is on dargo's ship yet so like everybody's gonna die and then poor elak has to pull up and then he and his pilot let rigel go and then they turn around and then they crash into the um and then they crash into the ships but meanwhile because dargo's ship has been exposed this whole time the peacekeepers are firing on his ship and so it gets damaged and so dargo and everybody make a run for it they pick up rigel and then greza and Braca are chasing them in a marauder and then dargo has to turn around and come back to the planet 
because they can't fly. But he does shoot a little satellite probe out, and so the peacekeepers continue chasing it. And so at the when they come back down to the planet, the peacekeepers are gone. They're chasing the the probe. And so it's our, our trusty crew with reunited with Rigel on a planet whose magnetics we've this is a plot thread we've dropped, but the magnetics are now coming becoming a problem. They are running out of time and Jewel says I, I think at this point they have like an arn before they are all going to be fried alive by the magnetics. And I have a theory about how this could work scientifically, by the way. So when they say magnetics on Earth, the magnetic field that we have protects us from the solar wind and the, all the radiation particles that have come from space. And if we didn't have it, we would have tons and tons and tons of radiation on Earth. And we'd be like Mars, which has lots of radiation. And so the magnetics, I think, when they say that, they're meant this, this, the Darna's probe has disrupted the magnetic protection around the planet. So now it's bombarded regularly by like radiation from space. And it's only during this window when the probe allows the magnetic field to reform for these short amounts of time that they're protected. And that's my theory. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I'll buy that. Sure. That sounds good. I like it. I like theories that actually bolster sci- like Farscape <laughs> magic. <laughs> so... They end up having a showdown with the creature from the Black Lagoon, another plot point we kind of dropped accidentally. <laughs> well, he really only comes back here. Like, he helps the old woman go find the, the or escape, because she's going off to find, I think, the probes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what she was going off to do, but... Well, he tries to force her to tell him where the probe is, and she won't. Yeah. And then... John shows up and they don't really know that he's a bad guy yet until he like threatens John. He has the rock, uh, the the archaeological tool that can also turn people into rock like he did with Vala. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so there's this kind of showdown with him, but they get John points him towards the probe so he can actually dig up the probe. And then there's fighting and running and jumping off of cliffs. And my favorite thing is the way, so the... The Black Lagoon guy, I don't remember his name. It's like Uwen or something like that. It's a weird pronunciation. Anyway, he jumps off because he's aquatic, jumps off that cliff, goes into the water with the probe. And the way that the old lady gets John to go after him is she's had Winona this whole time. And she throws it into the water. And John just looks at her and says, that was Winona, right? She's like, yep. And then he jumps after it because he wants his gun back. <laughs> and I had to laugh because this took Farscape magic to an entirely new level. John immediately finds Winona. And I was like, okay, sure. Whatever. I mean, given the amount of things I have lost in the ocean, I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> and that will be right. like things that I'm like standing there and I will lose it in the water and you just cannot find <laughs> anything in the ocean. Like it is literally impossible, but whatever. <laughs> I'm going to move on from my ocean related experiences. <laughs> so, so John jumps in, he finds Winona, he has a showdown with the sea creature and then the sea creature is holding John and Chiana shoots the sea creature with the thing that turns the, the archaeological tool. So then the sea creature turns into water but even though mm-hmm. he was touching John, he doesn't turn into John, and John does not turn into water. And so I'm kind of like, okay, I will accept this and move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just focus on the fact that Chiana took a sweet shot and saved John's ass, and it was pretty pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome, because Chiana is the best. Chiana is, like, literally the best. I love Chiana. She is. Uh, and, and John comes and thanks her afterwards when he gets out of the water, and so it's like, oh. I love you too. I know. They're best friends. I mean, they're not best friends. Dargo is clearly John's best friend. But they're friends. <laughs> Siblings. So now they have all three probes. Yeah. So they all have all three probes. Jewel shows up with the other two. They each go. I guess they just kind of go in random directions and assume they've gone yeah, far so enough. It's, right. So I think they're making a triangle. They have to be like... I, I want to say they said 600 motras, mm-hmm. which is like a meter. And so it's like half a metra. So metra is like the mile and 600 a motra is like a meter just for future reference if anyone was wondering. And my other favorite bit was like, how do I get it to work? Says Chiana. And John's like, I don't know. Kick it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but fortunately for them, they're the Darnes. Darnas probes are on like autopilot and so once they're far enough away and they set and they connect with each other they do their thing and they go up and they restore 
as I say, the magnetic field around the planet, so they are now protected and they're no longer dying of poisoning. And at the same time, however, a temple appears that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. And and they're all really happy and they're all watching this and they're just like, what's going on? And then people appear who are in the red robes of the priests that we saw in the time flashback that John did under a different set of drugs by the old woman who was also pretty handy with the drugs and that was kind of crappy on her part too yeah yeah and then there's this really nice little moment where they're like what do we do and dargo says let's ask jewel because she is the instructor now and it's just like oh and it's like a really good moment like this is definitely one of those gifts that you get that like shows the crew all together because they're all kind of standing or sitting on this Mm -hmm. hill and they're watching and it's like they won you know yeah they won they got away yeah they got away from the peacekeepers they you know saved these like this planet and they saved these like ancient priests who had been trapped in time for like a thousand years or something no it was like more than that it was like five hundred thousand years or it was a ridiculous amount of time (laughs) it was like i don't think it was five hundred thousand years it was a a really long time it was a really long time (laughs) and so so in between seeing Chiana smile when they save the planet, which I'm like, it feels really good because Chiana kind of got a short shrift in terms of characterization these two episodes. But we have to remember that she started the she started these two episodes really still very angry and furious and, you know, hurt. And then she ends it like smiling and happy because they won, you know, and so mm-hmm. it does feel like a little bit of healing on her part, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't quite say she got short shrift because she there's a lot that she does like she's kind of in charge of the ladies when they're in prison she's like okay i'm gonna get us out of here okay follow my lead and then she's the one you know she's the one who keeps the with them and goes find john and is giving orders so she's like you know the battle commander of that little unit over there yeah and that is true she does get like a really good line in the first episode that we kind of skipped where like jewel was like did you ever know that I was on the run when I first met you and Jules getting all like melancholy? And then Shiana is like, great, I'm here with the suicide twins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So then the episode ends with Jules deciding to stay and she has a conversation with Dargo that's been a long time coming. Is, um, is he the last? Yeah. I've said goodbye to everyone. I can't make any of you stay. Well, uh, you're the only one who can stay. You're the only one not being hunted by the peacekeepers. The priests will need help. They have 12,000 cycles of catching up. Bella's intellectual equal, but... Well, I am now. She's a rock. <laughs> I'm trying to apologize. Go on. You... You have more courage. Integrity. And honesty than a dozen Bellas. And I should have said that to her. And then they kiss. Mm-hmm. And it's this great little moment. It's so romantic between them as they say goodbye. And then when Dargo walks off with everyone else, poor Jules' face just crumples because she's going to miss him and she's going to miss the crew and she's going on this new adventure on her own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And amongst all the other goodbyes, so she has goodbye with Dargo last but she has a sweet thing with John where he's where she's like, you should stay. We're closely related, you know. And he's like, oh, I can't. I got to go after Aaron. Yeah. Well, she says, you have to go after Aaron. And they don't say anything, but Jewel and Chiana also have this, like, really close moment with each other, too. Mm-hmm. Where this, like, you know, their animosity has been buried and they're, they're going to miss each other. Yeah. So, yeah. I miss their friendship already because I'm like, we didn't really... <laughs> ever get to see their like friendship friendship we got to see it like kind of at the very end of season three and and then right here at the beginning of season four but at the same time i'm like oh chiana needs more girlfriends yep 
So at the end of the episode, we have them flying off in Dargo's ship Mm -hmm. and everybody is in Dargo's main cabin and (laughs) Gianna has a couple really funny lines where Dargo's like, well, Jules no longer going to have anybody chasing her. And Gianna's like, unlike us. And she has a mission in life. And Gianna says, unlike us. (laughs) Just cracks me up. Yeah. And then they point out that John is actually the only one that does have a mission, which is Aaron. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, flying behind them, being towed, not flying, towed behind them in the module where he's sitting by himself, mm-hmm. probably to get some alone time. And we actually find out uh, the old woman's name at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And for short, she's called Norianti. So that's how we will be referring to her. I didn't actually write down her full name. It's like Utu Norianta something something. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, and she's she's tells John, you know, he asks why why she tried to kill him and she's like i've seen the destruction of mass weapons before and he's like yeah you're right we can't let that fall into the peacekeeper hands mm-hmm. rather forgiving of him it kind of goes along with that theme we had at the end of season three where you know the wormhole knowledge that scorpius wanted that was in john's head it's like we cannot let scorpius continue his wormhole research we cannot let him have that kind of power mm-hmm. yeah and like i said that's going to be a much larger theme for season four is kind of the idea of you know weapons of mass destruction and and what the cost of peace will be you know Mm -hmm. yeah so what would you give this episode i'd give this one a three i think it's much uh, is a very solid episode it's got some great lines some good character stuff it's very action oriented so that's i'll give it a three yeah yeah i'll go with you on a three uh it wasn't it was not a favorite of mine i think that this is definitely one of their weaker two-parters but given that the rest of their two-parters tend to be incredibly strong i think that it's kind of like you know (laughs) this would be a normal two-parter for a different tv show yeah and this one's doing a little bit more work because i think it is setting up some stuff for later in the season and later in the show that isn't necessarily always done in the two-parter like i think that was part of the problem with the first part of this uh sacrifice because as we have said it was kind of incoherent with like all the backstory and exposition and part of that was because you know some of that's just going to be so much further off into the future that they have to get it out there they have to set it up Mm -hmm. but you don't actually see the payoff in all the ways in this episode yeah so wardrobe watch yeah wardrobe watch um so on wardrobe watch everybody is pretty much wearing what they were wearing before i want to point out that john has like a super manly hairy chest and the only reason (laughs) i point that out is that it's so funny because nowadays on tv like men are completely waxed like yeah almost uniformly completely waxed to the point where like when i first saw my husband at the beach i was like oh yes men have hair on their chest (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, so we get to see John without a shirt on. Uh, Jules' hair in this episode, in the last one, was red the whole time, as opposed to just changing to red, mm-hmm. um, as in season three where she had orange and red hair. But yeah, everyone else is, is in their normal costumes. And I don't know if we ever described Sokozu's costume, but hers is kind of orangey to match her hair. Mm-hmm. So one thing about Sokozu is I don't understand why sometimes in the beginning of episodes she'll have her hair in those little spiral things that I think are really cute up on around her head. Mm-hmm. And then like during the episode, she just let her hair down. <laughs> like, won't it get in the way? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's so hilarious, too, because there's like a scene where I'm like, you're about to go do action-y stuff. Like, why are you taking <laughs> your hair down? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, each their own. And next week, we have Lava's A Many Splendored Thing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Which is, uh, is the pit stop from hell. <laughs> All right, so join us next week. We are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Tumblr, and Dreamwith.com. We are also Farscape Friday on Twitter. Hit us up there and definitely let us know if we make any more glaring errors and we will fully admit to them. (laughs) All right, take care, everyone. Bye.